all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. We're headed into deeper and deeper waters, and I'm excited about it. I know the Lord wants to do a work in our lives. And and today I'm calling this uh, the title of the message is Speaking to the Spiritually Stunted. I don't know if I, yeah, I tried to find the right picture for it. Sorry, that's the best I could find. I hope that's none of you guys. Uh, no, I don't think he's here today. But it's, it's so often in life you hear about people who've been a Christian for 40 years or more, and really it's like, no, they've just been a Christian for two years, the way their, or one year, the way their spiritual depth is, and it just stunted. It stays the same. God wants to speak to us today about not being spiritually stunted, how we can grow in the Lord, and what did the author of Hebrews say to those he was writing to who were spiritually stunted? Um, you know, we all need this exhortation, and and. What do you say, by the way, if you know somebody who's spiritually stunted? What do you say to them? Well, here's what the Bible says. We're going to look again at uh, Hebrews 5. Look at verse 11. Of whom we have much to say, which he was speaking about Melchizedek, another deep topic we'll talk about in Hebrews 7. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food, verse 14, belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil there's only four verses here, but there's a lot we need to talk about. So we're going to go deep today because this is important. So what does spiritually stunted mean? What does it look like? Well, first of all, verse 12 says that they, they're just on milk, but not solid food. We'll talk about what that really means. Uh, in verse 13, it says that they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Verse uh, verse. 13b says that they're a babe or they're spiritually stunted. It's interesting. Uh, every Saturday night after I put together the shepherd to sheep, Linda posts everything on Facebook. She does a lot of the behind the scenes work. She posted uh, the shepherd to sheep. And I woke up this morning and saw that somebody already responded to the shepherd to sheep that says, are you spiritually stunted? And they put something like a spiritually immature Christian is all into legalism and law-keeping, and a spiritually mature, did I say immature? 
A spiritually immature person is into law-keeping and rules, and a spiritually mature person is into grace and love. And I thought, you just summarized my message. I liked it. You know, that's good. Now you don't have to... Go home now. We're done. You know? I mean, that was really good. Um, so uh, another aspect we see in this opening text is in verse 14, it says that those who are spiritually immature, they lack discernment because of lack of practice. I want to talk about that some today. And so let's start out with your fill-ins. I've got fill-ins, I don't know, I had less, and I tried to make sure we at least have enough to keep your attention. But our first fill-in is this. How does one become spiritually stunted? In this case, in the book of Hebrews, a pulling back because of outside stress that creates inside stress. You ever been pressured from the outside that makes you all tense in the inside? Let me give you four examples. Uh, if you've ever been pressured in this area, you'll relate. But here's the four examples, and they're also your fill-ins. Number one, persecution. That was the case for the Jews here uh, in, in the book of Hebrews that it's written to. Uh, and sometimes you could have hostility among family members because why did you leave our religion? Why did you leave the Jewish religion? Why did you leave our cult? Whatever it is, okay? It, it, it could be uh, friends, pressure. I know people who are in a cult, but because their boss is in that cult, their co-workers are in the cult, it's hard to leave because now they'll be alienated at work. And of course, sometimes your enemies, right? Your enemies threatening you. And there's, there's severe persecution in that way as well. So persecution. Number two is intimidation, which actually goes right along with persecution. Sometimes the intimidation is intellectual scientism. I put that in your uh, notes because, um, you know, that's what we're going through on Wednesday nights with the faith building series. There are so-called intellectuals who will tell you, believe the science, science, science. And the science is conflicting with the Bible, at least their science. And so what we're doing on Wednesday nights, we're going through video series from scientists, intellectual scientists showing you that the science doesn't speak against the Bible. As a matter of fact, believe the science because science supports Scripture. Jeremy was talking about it earlier during announcements. So it's intimidation via intellectual scientism or people who call themselves intellectual one way or another. The, the third fill-in is inner doubts. Have you ever just had, I'm a doubter, you know, even today, we're on our way in today, and Linda says to me, did you shut the garage door? You ever do that? Oh, yeah. I was like, um, let's go back. No, but this time I knew I did. Unless we go back home today after church and find it's open. Uh, so, you know, but sometimes it's inner doubts. Do you ever just, things nag at you and you have inner doubts, and what happens is that freezes your spiritual progress if, if you have inner doubts, you're always struggling with inner doubts, it's hard to read your Bible in faith. It's hard to pray in faith. It's hard to have fellowship in faith because you're, you know, I don't know about that. What if it's not me? And what if? And, and so inner doubts. The, the fourth one is an obvious one. Sin. Okay? Sin, and I, I phrased it, hiding from God like Adam and Eve. What sin does is it makes you hide from God. It, it, it cuts off your relationship with God to the point where you, you even want to go hide out. You, you know you're wrong, you're guilty, and sin just puts a big wall between you 
in the Lord and your relationship. Okay, so, so those are the four that I want to make sure with everything I want to say today, in case I don't cover it all, there's, there's your four right there. Okay, now all of these and more can stunt your spiritual growth. You can't grow spiritually if you're walking in fear rather than faith. You can't grow spiritually if you're doubting God's word rather than believing it. You can't grow spiritually if you're not living out God's word in practice. And that's what we're going to talk about in a little bit more detail today. Father, give us ears to hear your word. Open up our hearts. Open up our spiritual ears. So that if there's something we need to hear, we hear with a submissive, humble heart. Lord, I pray that you protect us from the guilt trip. I know that's not what you want to do. I know you don't want to put a guilt trip on us. But yet, Lord, show us when we need to move forward and we're stubbornly holding still. And so, Lord, we love you. We know that you love us. And so we come boldly before the throne of grace asking that you would, in love, lead us forward that we might not stay the same or be spiritually stunted. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick review of the letter. This letter is not written to non-Christians. It's written to a a group of of Hebrew Jewish believers who became Christians. And now because of the persecution, the intimidation, the things we were talking about, because of the pressures outside, they're, they're, they're tempted to go backwards. Okay? So I want you to understand this. Too many people... Depending on who you think this book is written to will depend on how you interpret it. Too many people say, well, this book, some of them were Christians, but most of them weren't Christians. The Bible's written to Christians. And Hebrews is written to timid, persecuted Jewish believers who were tempted to go backwards. And that will all make sense when we move to chapter 6, the big controversial one. Read ahead. If you want to be mischievous in your small groups, say, could we read chapter 6? Talk, don't talk about it yet. Okay, listen. Um, Hebrews is to Jewish Christians who were tempted to pull away and to pull back from Christ because of persecution. And there's so many applications to this book. It's not just, I've heard people say, well, that was written to the Jewish Christian. Well, so it doesn't apply to you? We should take it out of the Bible then because it was just to the Jewish Christian. Or the Jewish non-Christian. Or the, I mean, there's all these different categories people make. No, there's applications to you, so pay attention. First, it was to the Jews who were practicing, who were tempted to go back to practice the, the dead religion, the, the, the rituals. And they want to retreat back from the sacrifice of Christ to animal, back, go back to the animal sacrifice. That's a big step backwards, all right? For us, it could be applied to forsaking Christ for any reason whatsoever, and go back, trade Christ in it for anything else. You know, we've all got things that pull in our life, and we go, I think I'm going to do that instead. Then this book is for you, okay? Now, here's your next fill-in, so you don't miss it. Hebrews is written to do two things. Number one, to demonstrate that Christ is superior to all. Number one, Christ is superior to all. Why? Because the Jews were going, what about our high priest? What about our temple? What about... Matter of fact, that's one reason why we believe that the book of Hebrews was written before 70 AD because they were still all focused on the temple and the high priestly system and all that. And there's nothing in there about the temple being destroyed yet, which happened in 70 AD, by the way, for those of you who want to see a timeline. And so uh, the Jews needed to realize there's no going back. Christ is better. He's superior. If you go back to to your old ways in the Judaism, you're losing ground. Okay? Number two, Hebrews is written to exhort the weak believers not to forsake 
Christ. Because that was the big thing for the Jewish believer. They wanted to, okay, it's not just faith in Christ. It's the law of Moses. It's the animal sacrifice. Go back to all that ritual. You know what? Whatever pulls on you to try to get you to go back and trade Christ in for it, it's, it's not worth it. This book is for you as well. Okay, now, we left off at verse 11. As a matter of fact, we touched on verse 11 last week, but we're going to touch on it again. Let's start there. Speaking of Melchizedek, and we'll talk more in chapter 7 about him, of whom we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. Now I want you to see something else. The, the, the audience that the writer is writing to isn't people who are blinded and they've never seen, or they're, they're dead, spiritually dead, and they can't, they can't hear because they're dead. It says you become dull of hearing. It's to a group of people who once were listening and now their hearts are hardening and they're getting dull of hearing. It says they become dull of hearing, okay? Uh, and this can happen through doubts, fears, pressures, all the things we just mentioned in that list of four. And we talked about it last week that Jesus even spoke to the Jewish peeper. Peeper. There's the purple peeper eaters, okay? Uh, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15, Jesus said, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I would heal them. We ended with this last week, this thought. And I exhorted you all, don't get like that to your Bible. Oh, I've heard this story before. Oh, we've talked about this doctrine before. Oh, I've read that verse before. Don't ever lose it, your passion for the word. Because later, once we get past the toughest part of Hebrews 6, at the Hebrews 6.11, the writer says this, But we passionately want each one of you to demonstrate the same eagerness for, for the fulfillment of your hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators. Here's the danger. In time, depending on how long you've been a Christian, we could pick up weight and we become sluggish. All kinds of other things enter our lives. All kinds of distractions, all kinds of other interests and hobbies and whatever. We add stuff to Christianity and it weighs us down. Sometimes it's sin that weighs us down. We become sluggish rather than imitating those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. So here's the thing. I know you're going to hear it again and again. I hope you don't get tired of hearing it. Press on. That's what the book of Hebrews is saying. Press on. Don't coast. Don't drift. And that's the thing that you know, I was talking to my wife uh, this week because I tend to feel guilty about everything. I should be doing more. Why aren't I doing this? And, why aren't I? and, and the Lord is... The Lord showed me some revelation, even this morning, of how the important thing is faith and love. I need to have faith and love for God, and I need to love the body of Christ. And if everything I do is based on faith and love, then I'm in the right place. But if I'm doing it out of guilt, oh, I should be doing more, I gotta earn God's favor, I gotta do, that's a trip. That's a guilt trip. So your push, your motivation, my motivation should be faith and and love. Faith and love towards the Lord and love towards one another. And anything you do, it should be because of love, not because, all right, I should be doing this, okay? Now, uh, verse 5, one more thing I want to point out that when it says uh, you become dull of hearing, NIV puts it this way, you no longer try to understand. That's like he's talking to teenagers, right? You ever have kids that just, they've become sluggish? 
They're not trying to understand. But instead of progressing in the Christian life, the readers have become spiritually sluggish, mentally lazy, and they're not trying anymore. God help us not to get to that point. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. So not only is this letter not written to non-Christians, it's written to true Christians, these Christians should be much further along than they actually are. It even says you ought to be teachers. Now, just so you don't get the wrong idea, it's not automatic that once you've been a Christian so many years, now you're to be a teacher, okay? As a matter of fact, James said in James 3.1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. You know, I fought at becoming a teacher. I've had people, when I loved the Lord, I was on fire, I loved evangelism, and I was in ministry, and people would say, Mike, you should teach the Bible. This is before I was a pastor. Oh, no. James 3.1, you know. I'm not going to get under a stricter judgment. No, you should teach the Bible. Well, I'm going to make sure I know it real well first. Just start studying it, and then you... Oh, I, I wrestled, and now here I am. I'm a teacher. Stricter judgment, by the way, comes from above and comes from the pew. I see some guns aiming at me sometimes. You know, Stricter judgment. Now, here's the thing. When it says you should be teachers by now... Not everybody should be a public teacher, but we all should become, we should all grow to the place that we can teach by example, hey? We should all get to the place that people could look at our lives and go, I've learned something from her, I've learned something from him, I'm watching their lives, and I've heard some of the things they said, and you know what? I'm learning from that. So you all should be teachers as you mature in the Lord by way of example, but not many of you should be teachers by standing up in front of everybody uh, it's a dangerous place to be, uh, trust me. Okay, now, uh, verse 12 goes on to say, but this time you ought to be teachers. But it says, the problem is, now, now you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Now, what's the first principles? Interesting, you read people who like to uh, get into the Greek and Hebrew of the Bible, and the Greek letters of, or the Greek words, first principles, are kind of like saying, you should be teachers, but you're, you need to relearn your ABCs. Or you should be teachers, but now you need to learn your math. You know, your reading, writing, arithmetic. You need the, the, the three hours again. And so the first principles are the elements out of which everything else develops. It's the basics. You need to start all over again. You've, you're missing the basics. You ever catch yourself doing that? You've been a Christian a while. You start getting into all this other stuff. And you realize, oh, I need to review, review the basics. I know as a, as a new Christian, probably for the first two or three years, maybe longer, I collected tracts, gospel tracts. Yeah, because I wanted to keep reading them. I wanted to make sure I got this, this plan right, you know. Uh, how do you get saved? And why do we need to get saved? And what does it mean to be saved? So I'd read tracts over and over again because I, I always wanted to not get too far from the ABCs. You might want to do that if, if you get confused easy. But spiritually speaking... There's something being mentioned here in verse 12. Uh, milk. What, what does it mean you need milk? What's the difference, spiritually speaking, between milk and meat? Uh, or some of your Bibles say solid food. Uh, back when I learned this principle I'm about to teach you, I was using the King James, or most of my friends were, and they would talk about meat. You need the meat of the word. Matter of fact, a, a famous saying, 
I used to go to a large Calvary Chapel back in Southern California. And people, after a while, people go, yeah, well, the pastor, he's just giving us milk. I want the meat of the word. He's just teaching us the milk. I want to show you something in the next couple of verses here that the word of God is never meat. When you say get into the meat of the word, this is not meat. This is milk. Let me, let me show you an example. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Peter 2, 2 says this. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know what the word of God is? Matter of fact, I challenge you to study your Bible and show me anywhere where the Bible is called meat or the phrase meat of the word is used. All the Bible could ever be is milk. Because that's where everybody starts. Remember that commercial years ago? Everybody needs milk. We need the word, the, the milk of the word, but it's never called meat. It's funny, I remember years ago, I was teaching this in California, and some dear friends came up to me, and uh, the wife says, well, my husband found a verse that shows you where the word is meat. I says, okay, I've searched real hard. Show it to me. And it was John 1 where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a joke, but point taken, okay? But I just want you to know that all your pastor could ever give you is milk. If you want meat, there's an old saying that I learned years ago that I put in my notes and I didn't say it. There's an old saying years ago, the meat is in the street, and I'll show you that as we, as we get into this a bit. But the thing is, the meat is the doing of God's word. The milk is the taking in of God's word. Everybody needs that, especially babies, Christians. But as we grow and mature, we move from just reading it to doing it, to living it. Okay? So look at verse 13. We'll go deeper with this. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. Now, wait a minute. Is, if milk is the word, how could you take milk but you're unskilled in the word of righteousness? Well, uh, it's because you're just taking in information, but you're not using the information. So here's your next fill, and I want to make sure you get this. Your next fill is, the readers of this letter did not necessarily lack information. That's your word. The readers didn't lack information concerning righteousness. They lacked experience in practicing the information that they had. So here's your next two fill-ins that really say it all. Maturity comes from practice. Maturity comes from practice. You don't grow. It's, it's like somebody who watches, pick your favorite sport. You know, somebody's watching basketball. Oh, I'm getting better and better at this because I watch all the games. You don't get better by watching it. You get better by playing the game, okay? Whatever sport, whatever activity, whatever challenge, you don't get good by just watching them. You, you might think now you know all about it. Uh, you know, I, I love watching the martial arts or boxers, and it's like, whoa, wow. It's like, I'm no better of a boxer or a martial artist because I've watched a lot of that stuff. Believe me, don't test me on it, okay? I'll get hurt. But you, you mature from practice. And verse 14 actually clarifies this or, or confirms this truth. Look at verse 14. But solid food, or meat, as some of your Bibles might say, belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use, ooh, underline that word use, 
by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So here it is. When you look up the word use, even in the Greek there, it actually means it could be translated habit or practice or use. It's only, by the way, that Greek word's only used once in the whole New Testament, but the, I have the definition before me, and it actually means practice. It could be a habit, whether mind or, uh, mind or body, or it could be power acquired by custom and practice and use. The, this practice covers everything from simple obedience to the Lord. You know, how do I practice? How do I practice what I read in the Bible? Well, when it tells you to repent, you repent. When it tells you the things that are, are, are sins, you turn from it and you repent. It, it could apply to acts of sharing your faith, obeying God's commands. It could apply to, oh, it says I should pray. You know, have you ever, maybe you've done this. I've known people who love to read books on prayer. Why don't you just pray? <laughs> we're reading, we're going through a series right now, reading books on prayer. You know what? You get better at prayer by praying, Amen. not by reading books on prayer. You get better at sharing your faith by sharing your faith. You don't just read books. That, now, books might give you good tips, but it's the practice of our faith that makes it all real. Worship. You know what? We're born to worship. That's one of the reasons I, we've just recently made a change to bring in some homegrown worship and we're moving in a new path right now to move forward to the next thing that God has for us. Is Worship is the is the occupation of heaven. When you, you better be good at worship when you get to heaven. Well, I've, I've heard people singing before. Huh, sounds better up here. No, you got to be hitting the, I was, I was going to say hit the dirt. No, you hit the gold. You get on your knees and you'll be worshiping. You know what? Worship is the occupation of heaven. You better learn to worship now because that's practicing your faith. So practicing your faith is everything from just repenting from sin when God calls something sin to, to the spiritual gifts to all the ways that you can make faith real. What they, we call it putting feet on your faith. Okay? So I remember there was a story back in John chapter 4. When Jesus met the woman at the well, you've all heard this story. And Jesus was great, by the way, if you ever read, want to know a great, some great principles of how to witness, read John chapter 4 of how Jesus witnessed to the woman at the well. Jesus, he's the resurrection, the love of we hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.